Podcast with your host, Nick Jaworski. We bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Thank you for joining me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, the owner and CEO of Circle Social Inc., a strategic marketing and consulting firm for behavioral health and addiction treatment providers. Today, we're speaking with Patrick Haynes. He is a managing partner and co-founder of Wellness Realty. Wellness Realty is a firm that specializes in sale leasebacks, which is a type of financing that's an alternative to private equity or traditional bank debt. Before we get into the conversation with him, let's hear from our wonderful sponsors, Track 9. Track 9 Informatics is a data-driven approach to substance use disorder and mental health treatment. By assessing nine pathology and resilience factors that have been scientifically shown to be most critical to client success each week, Track 9 identifies which clinicians excel at treating which client symptoms, provides facility-specific clinical outcome analytics compared to national averages, and learns your facility-specific predictors of treatment success or failure, all of which help your program improve client outcomes, support payer negotiations, and reduce AMAs. To get a free consultation on how this data-driven approach can improve your program, call 833-998-7229 or email contact at track9.com. As mentioned, today is all about sale leasebacks, and sale leasebacks have different pros and cons to them, as does traditional bank debt and private equity. So we are going to discuss the pros and cons of those three different financing options. All three have different advantages and disadvantages that you might want to consider as you look at your growth strategy or as a way to potentially take risk off the table by selling off the real estate. So if you own real estate, a sale leaseback is an option for you as a owner, provider, or investor. What we'll discuss today is how sale leasebacks can also not just provide capital for current operations, but can actually be used to fuel and accelerate growth by working with a a real estate partner to acquire the property end of things while you grow your operating company. So with that, let's hear from Patrick Haynes and jump into the conversation. Mr. Patrick Haynes, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and Wellness Realty? Absolutely. Uh, Thank you very much for having me, Nick. Great to be here. So I am Patrick Haynes, co-founder of Wellness Real Estate Partners. And we are a private real estate investment company focused exclusively on the behavior health space. Uh, founded the company in 2018. And uh, by the end of the year, we hope to have uh, about 12 to 13 facilities across the country with uh, a range of different operators. Typical deal size is anywhere from Two to three million, up to you know seventeen to twenty million. It's uh, it, it definitely ranges, as we all know, in the industry uh, on the different types of facilities. And uh, you know, my background, I'm from a really small community in um, in Western Virginia. And around the time when I was launching this business, is it was kind of seeing what was happening in my hometown and the need for more services kind of throughout the country. And really, living through that a little bit that that brought on brought on the the founding of wellness and and here we are. All right, and so appreciate the background there. What I was really interested in, why I wanted to have you on the show, is you really work on the real estate side of things, which is a conversation we haven't had before. Um, it's something that I think is important for behavioral health providers to understand. And then specifically, you guys do sale leasebacks. And while that's a pretty common financial vehicle in a lot of different spaces, senior care, for example, it's not so common within behavioral health. So can you tell us just a little bit about what a sale leaseback is and how that works within the behavioral health space? Yes. So absolutely. So we, sale leaseback is a really straightforward concept, but it doesn't tend to show up in industries until an industry begins to mature. And when when that happens, you see the bifurcation between the real estate asset and the operating business. Why that happens later in, in an industry's growth cycle is 
typically early on, operators might not have the the credit or the financial wherewithal to to break the business into two different entities and sign a lease and have a operating business that can support a lease on the real estate. I think with what we believe is that behavior health is maturing to a point where it makes a lot of sense to begin to see that separation in the different business assets, which is the real estate and the operating business. And a sale leaseback is quite simply buying the real estate from a company and then leasing it back to them. It's just really, I try and make it sound more complicated than it is. And I think that's really just my deep insecurity of just being a real estate guy, <laughs> but it's not a, it's really a, a fairly simple concept, but it is, um, it's a fairly powerful one in what it can, what it can provide for business in terms of capital, freeing up capital, accelerating their growth, cleaning up their balance sheet and things like that. So while a very straightforward concept, it can have pretty, uh, pretty powerful business implications. Okay. So let's take a deep dive into it. So first of all, obviously you have to own the real estate, right? For you to be able to sell it to someone else in the sale leaseback arrangement. So that's probably part of the maturation, right? Of the space is people have enough capital to actually own the buildings rather than leasing them, which I think was an issue early on for the addiction treatment space in particular. But then, you know, you got different options, right? I could go to private equity for financing. I could get traditional bank debt, you know, so why would I be looking at a sale leaseback versus, these other forms of, of capital raises? Yeah, great question. And I think that's a, that's, it's a really interesting one because as we entered the behavioral health space, as straightforward a concept as the sale leaseback is, it's one that's just not on people's radar screen. I think private equity moved fairly quickly into the behavioral health sector, as we all know. And so that's very much a household concept. And then obviously financing is financing and people are familiar with that generally. So there's a big kind of educational mountain or just an awareness that we're trying to uh, trying to get out there in the industry. So in comparing them, very high level would be private equity. Typically, you know, they're coming in on the operating business side. And well, there, there are implications of that, both good and bad. It just depends on what you need. They're buying into your business, uh, which will come with different controls, different, you know, objectives from a growth standpoint. You know, they will have, uh, you know, in some instances, they're just capital. In other instances, they're much more partners. In other instances, they're much more ownership. And I think it, you know, that's, that's, there's so many different ways private equity invests into a business, but the key takeaway there is that they're obviously buying into the business. That's not us. We're just real estate. And so staying on the private equity comparison, the big difference with us is while we free up a lot of capital for an operator and essentially provide that balance sheet, we don't invest into the business. So the operator continues to have 100% control over their company and, um, and, and, you know, just pays us a, a lease payment comparing us to, so switching gears. So that's, that's high level and there's a ton of different, you know, everything's you know, devils in the details, but, but generally speaking, that's, that's the big difference between us and private equity. Can I pause you there? Cause I think that's worth digging into a little bit more before we get onto traditional bank debt. Cause there's a lot to unpack, right? So I think the first thing that you said in the beginning was that, yeah, I think, especially if it were a smaller operator, right, the real estate is probably just considered part of the balance sheet of the operating company. They're not two separate entities. But you're saying that to do a sale lease back here, what you're doing is you're separating those entities legally, right? So maybe the real estate becomes right. a separate LLC or something like that. And then part of the advantage there is you're freeing up the capital, right? Because the capital is frozen in the real estate. I got a million dollars here. It's not doing anything for me, right? I can't invest that capital for growth. I can't, you know, improve my care. I can't build out a bigger clinical program or, or you know, even use that money for leasing another building. Uh, the capital's frozen. So the sale leaseback allows you to come in and separate out the real estate that you guys would purchase as a single kind of cash lump sum 
and then they'd be able to use that capital, right? And then on the private equity side, so private equity comes in and takes an equity ownership in the business, right? And so if right. they take 20%, well, that's that's gone, right? If my company is worth a million dollars and I grow it to $10 million, while well, the private equity company gets all of that growth, whereas with a sale lease back, you know, you own 100% of the company, so you own all the value in the company. Is that an accurate uh, assessment? Just to clarify, the you there is the operator. The operator would continue to own 100% of their business. We just own the real estate. So if your business goes from a million dollars to $10 million in value, all, I mean, that's, while we're thrilled because your credit has improved, so we're, <laughs> we're, we're excited to see that happen, we don't participate in that growth with you. And, um, but again, we are, we are very much aligned in seeing you get to that growth. So we, we want to be supportive and make sure that happens. We want to back operators that are, that are growing and are healthy, but um, that's 100% the operators. And I don't want to be negative on the private equity model because, again, that 20% investment that the private equity group might give you, you know, they, they, they can provide a lot of fuel for growth and they can do a lot of great things. You know, we're not that we're not an operating partner in that sense. We don't maybe provide those resources that a private equity company might provide. But yes, you are giving up ownership in your business for that capital and that relationship where with us you aren't. And, um, and the way we structure, I think a, an important thing to, to put out there is we are long-term owners of real estate and we sign long-term leases with tenants and they're, they're triple net leases and triple net, just, just, I'm sure most people are familiar, but it, a triple net lease is one where the, the, the ends, the triple net, which is utilities, insurance, and real estate taxes are paid by the tenant. So it's your rent net of those costs is what we receive. So that's what is you know, called a triple net lease in the industry. And the point is, as the operator, you still retain ostensibly complete control over your real estate asset. We are really capital for you. In that in that sense, right? You you have control over your destiny. Um, you don't have to worry about losing that location for your operations. We're here to support your business and want you to stay there and run a successful treatment program out of that location. So to clarify on the triple net part, so you're saying that you know the owner retains the owner of the company retains uh, control of the property, meaning if I want to break down three offices and make it a group room because I think that's going to make the business more successful, you guys don't have any input on that. You say run the business however you want, do whatever you want to the real estate as long as you you know make it a profitable company. We don't care what you're doing. Is that correct? That's right. And now we're going to have we're going to have a seat at the table if there are major alterations. You know, if you you decide you want to just level the build, building and make a parking lot, then we we would want to know about that and talk to you about how this is good for the program. But I think but 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 you know, other than those kind of extreme examples, that's exactly right. What you you control the real estate and what makes it a good program uh, for your business, and we want you to be successful. So the triple net is a way of saying that, okay, if we agreed that the rent on a building is 100 bucks, then there's, let's say, $20 of expenses for your insurance, utilities, and taxes, then $80 is what we would receive, and you would set up that you'd continue, you, you would have the ability, we would be a passive partner or passive landlord, and you would run that real estate facility as you needed to for your operations. And that's, that's a big, that is in, in this context of the private equity com, you know, uh, comparison, that's an important one is the, how we're passive relative to another type of investor. Certainly private equity can be passive or they can be more involved. It all depends, of course, but every time on the real estate side, we are passive, right? And that, that, kind of uh, goes hand in hand with not owning any of the operating business. So I think that's important to highlight because obviously we work with a lot of private equity at Circle Social through our clients. And I can tell you that we don't have a single 
client that has a, a passive private equity partner. They're all quite deeply entrenched within the operating business of their of their um, portfolio companies. And so on balance, there's pros and cons to that, right? Sometimes private equity brings a lot of higher level expertise and certain skill sets to the table that they're able to help you facilitate growth as a company. But at the same time, they're they're very involved, right? And so they're there, they're asking questions, they're, you know, demanding results. And so they sometimes kind of become like your your boss in a way, which can be frustrating to existing owners or executive teams at times. So there's, there's pros to that, there's cons to that, right? And I think another point that you mentioned on the difference with the private equity versus the sale leaseback is those timelines. So traditionally, you know, private equity is it's usually a five to a seven year time horizon. And that can be challenging for a behavioral health business that really has to invest well in their communities and in their clinical programming to build up a reputation and a long-term growth of the program. Five to seven years can, can be a bit challenging, I think. And so having a longer timeline where instead of private equity is going to give you capital, but five to seven years, I've got to make that capital work and, and give them a pretty quick return. Whereas with a sale lease back, you know, you're doing a, what do you said, a 20 or a 30 year lease or something like that. So it's a little bit more relaxed from the owner standpoint in terms of freeing up that capital to use to make some more long term investments rather than yeah. shorter ones. Is, is that right? That's right. And that lease term can vary. But I would say, you know, the, the high level, that's exactly right. And the other the other thing I'd, I'd note is that think how um, I think it's pretty powerful how we can be leveraged if you're a growing company and you see your valuation really improving and you want to you want to contemplate that business exit or recapitalization down the road and you're just trying to get from a to b right but you own maybe one or two or three or four facilities that those facilities as you mentioned nick earlier you're sitting on equity you're sitting on capital you free that up you can roll that into your growth and um and help scale your business without selling a portion of your business today, even though you might be open to doing that down the road. So we can we can really accelerate growth. We can and that and that's really the that's really the idea behind Wellness Real Estate Partners is we believe that you know we believe in the expanding of services across the country that treatment should be uh, more available to regional local markets and helping best-in-class operators grow their businesses across the country is what we're all about, right? And so what's an interesting, this might be an interesting segue into not only the sale leaseback model where we're buying your own real estate and providing you that lump sum cash up front, but to the extent you identify, an operator identifies a new location that they want to be in and they say, you know, hey, Patrick, this is this facility makes a lot of sense for us. It costs $5 million, $10 million, $1 million, whatever. We need to fund all these startup costs. We don't necessarily want to come out of pocket to buy this real estate asset because that's not a good use of our money. That's where we come into play. So we can come in, buy that piece of real estate, and at closing, all that would happen is the lease that we negotiate during our due diligence period would become effective. So... It's a great way to grow without it. It's a capital efficient way of growing is kind of a highfalutin way of saying that, if that makes sense. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. So I (laughs) I think that's actually a really valuable point that you're bringing up. So let's say that I've got $200,000 a year in free cash flow, right? And I want to grow and expand and start a new residential facility. And the cost to buy that facility is going to be a million dollars. Well, I would have to wait five years to save up the free cash flow and, and no distributions or putting that capital anywhere else to buy that facility. But you're saying that you, let's say we have a relationship with your firm already. I can then go to you and say, hey, look, can you buy that location for us? And we'll just start operating it immediately. And so I don't have to wait five years to save up and use my free cash flow for that purchase, right? That's exactly right. And, and that is a, I think that's a, that's something we've been doing a lot of and our existing operator partners, I, I almost find that that is probably our biggest value add to their business is, is especially we have a, you know, have done one deal together where we get the lease figured out, then it's really rinse and repeat. I mean, we can, we show up, 
we can just switch out a few terms, the address in the lease, and we're basically ready to go. And we handle all of that, you know, the capitalizing, the the running the real estate process, the the closing, and so on and so forth. So kind of remove that not only the headache but also the capitalization piece as well. And I and I think in that in that analogy, Nick, you you talk about saving up free cash flow to buy the building. I think that highlights the certainly there is the option, and this was an earlier question of yours, to go get traditional financing. Yeah. And so why would you do this over traditional financing in that example? This being a a, a real estate transaction with a, a company like like ours. The the most obvious is we are a hundred percent of proceeds for the real estate as opposed to uh, just a portion that traditional financing might provide you, right? So, you know, I'm sure everybody's familiar with the concepts of loan to value or loan to cost. So if your bank is going to provide you, let's say the building costs a million dollars, the bank will provide you a portion of that purchase price, right? And then let's say you have to do some renovating of the building. They're going to provide you only a portion of that uh, renovation capital. We can provide 100% of both, both the purchase price and the renovation capital. So we're a one-stop shop, so to speak, of getting the entire real estate capitalization done, right? So that's probably the, 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 the most obvious reason to go one way or the other. And when you think of using your equity dollars to fund that gap between the debt and the ultimate total cost of the real estate, those dollars in our mind should be more valuable to you in growing your business and spending on the operating company. And that's not always going to be the case, but we are that solution in the market now. We think Behavior Health really needs this solution. In addition to that, you have a long-term lease with us as opposed to a, again, a five, you know, three to five to seven year loan, right? Where you will have to refinance that you now have a liability on your balance sheet that you have to manage and make sure you're preparing for down the road. And as we all know, markets can change. We're certainly in a low interest rate environment today. So as you think of taking on debt financing to acquire a piece of property, certainly prepare. And it's not necessarily a, a, a negative, but everybody should just be aware that down the road in a rising interest rate environment that has real implications to how you refinance out that debt in the future. So not to get too in the weeds, but it's a, it's a, we should be just as cost effective. The capitalization should be whether you go with bank financing and using your own equity dollars, which has a higher cost to you or doing a real estate deal with us where we're hundred percent of all the real estate capital needed, both purchase price and renovation, that should be, you know, six one way, half dozen the other from a cost standpoint, but you remove the need to think about what you do when that loan comes due in a few years, right? Because you've signed a long-term lease with us. And I think that's pretty important, especially in the environment we're in today. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a good point. So the, there's a couple things I'm hearing there. One is you guys give 100% of the, the real estate capital. And so if I'm growing, if my internal rate of return is 30%, for example, I'd rather not give $200,000 to the bank as the, the, you know, the deposit, right? I'd rather get all the money and invest it because I'm getting a great rate of return right now. And so why, why freeze that into the real estate or into a, a loan? And then I think also you're talking about risk. And I think that's a pretty important conversation that we can dig into here. So when we're talking about risk, you're saying that, hey, the loan rates can change. I might have a really great cost here. But I think this is challenging because we've seen this behavioral health space quite a bit where banks don't quite feel comfortable with it or don't understand it. And so they give you these really high interest rates anyway. And then on top of that, like you said, seven years from now, it might change. And we might be in a 15% interest rate environment. Well, that's a no, I hope not, Nick. business. <laughs> I hope <Yeah>. not. <laughs> that would be... But that's okay. But yeah, keep going. So yeah, talk to me about the the risks then. So you've got this variable interest rate risk with traditional bank debt, but 
you know, you've obviously worked with a number of providers. This is your forte. How do you think about risk from both the property and the operating company end of things? Yeah, well, I think, um, well, risk, I mean, it, and there's a staying on the, on the interest rate point for us, one of, as a real estate company that is buying many of these facilities and diversifying both with operators and locations and asset types, we have a little bit of a different view. Uh, we can take a little bit of a, a, a different view on the interest rate risk environment than say a single operator owning one piece of real estate with one loan or a few pieces of real estate and a few loans, right? There's a, there's a big difference between being a real estate company just doing this and just being a single operator where, you're, where your business is the business of providing treatment, not really the business of owning real estate. And just on that interest rate point, I'm sure your audience is, is fairly familiar with all these concepts, but it's, it's, it's an important one that as interest rates rise, you know, pr, you know, your interest rate, real estate values are directly related to interest rates, right? Low interest rates, higher values. We're in a low interest environment today. We have generally a fairly high valued you know, commercial real estate environment. Now, again, our view is that we're taking, we're building a larger diversified portfolio. So it's a little different than a one-off investor or operator owning real estate. And in the instance of a single loan on a piece of real estate, if you go to refinance that loan and the interest rate environment is higher, right? You'll either be paying a lot more in your debt cost to refinance the exact same amount of debt out that you have on balance at that time, or in order to keep the same debt cost, you'd have to get lower proceeds, which means you're gonna be writing a check at that time to, um, to, to refinance out your existing loan. But that's a really simple kind of explanation of the risks involved with real estate financing and refinancing down the road. But I think it's a pretty important one that certainly in the environment we're in today, you need to think about. What was your other question, Nick? You mentioned something about how do we think about risk? Was there anything sort of generally speaking, or do you, I, I'm happy to launch into kind of our thoughts on just, you know, what operators we like, or did I touch on what you needed me to there with yeah. financing? Yeah, no, I think that's helpful. And then, so that actually, I, I think that's exactly the direction we should go next is, so obviously you're also thinking about risk in terms of, do we actually buy this real estate and get into bed with this current operator so you're looking at the health of the business in that aspect right you want to say okay i want to make sure that this operator is still going to be here five years from now because your goal is to make sure that they're paying rent right um so what risks do you look at and how should operators think about you know this is how someone that would be coming in it's probably gonna be the same whether it's a sale leaseback or private equity or a bank they're looking at these risks so what risks are you looking at before you invest or partner with a, a provider yeah absolutely so that's a that's the fundamental question, right? And and our we are operator focused is what we what we tell people kind of right off the bat is that we're we start our underwriting by getting to know the team and believing in their business model and what they're doing in the industry. I think that's a big because as you touched upon or we or we've kind of uh, reiterated throughout this uh, podcast is. You know, we're long-term investors in a in the industry, right? When we make a when we do a real estate deal with an operator, uh, while we're not taking an ownership interest in the company, we are owning a piece of real estate that is getting its rent serviced by that operator's business at that location, and we want that operator to stay and succeed there, right? We we want this piece of we want our portfolio to remain treatment centers you know this is not owning holding and then trying to flip into a new condominium development that's not that's not our business so we really want to partner with groups and own real estate for groups that believe in what they're doing want to do it for the long term or or setting up their companies to do it for the long term we we totally understand that we're working with uh, operators some operators that are growing and looking to sell you know, looking to position their company to be a strategic acquisition of another larger business. We, com we 
not only understand that, but our structures in the lease contemplate those situations. But fundamentally, we need to believe that the business they're setting up is one that can survive the long term. They're doing the right things. They they have the right goals in mind. And I think there's um, you know, that 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 is all to say that uh, we start with the team. We get to know the team. We want to be a, a long term relationship, whether it is just owning that one facility. We want to believe in their success. Right. Or whether it's doing one facility and then helping them grow, as we discussed earlier, all that comes down to being good partners. So we start with the team. Then we um, we we look at the business model. Do we believe do we are we aligned in how we're thinking about the industry and where the industry is going? You know, things like having the right diversification of payers, you know, some in network contracts, how much public pay, how are they thinking about public pay? You know, how are they thinking about value-based care and sort of the changing of the industry in that regard? And we're open to ideas on, we don't have a, a rigid structure, right? It's, it's really, do they believe in their business model? And does the business model make a lot of sense for how they're, they're running things? And so... Then, then the next, the, the last thing is is really kicking the tires on the real estate. It is funny how that is, that is after everything else, given that we are a real estate company, but it is, it's the reality of it. We're not going to invest in a piece of real estate if we don't believe in the operator or the operator's business plan. So it really is secondary to believing that we're working with best in class people and, and best in class businesses. So clearly you've got the profitability, but not just current profitability, not just looking at trailing 12, right? You're looking at long-term because again, this is a long-term partnership, long-term lease. And so when you talk about things like in network contracts, that's because you're concerned you want to make sure that this business is here 10, 20 years from now and still profitable, correct? That's right. That's exactly right. And and so we, and we can, because a, a great example, how would, how do you look at financials? Patrick, when this is a de novo location, you talked about doing, you know, growth facilities with operators. How does that work? Well, we we will look at the pro forma for that operation and say, okay, do we do we believe that they are going to is, is this a realistic business plan and can they meet this pro forma? And we can invest behind that. And I, so that is definitely something we can do. It's it's not just trailing twelve. We can look at projections and get comfortable with a real estate transaction based on those. It's it's deal by deal, of course, as you would, as everybody would imagine. But it's we are absolutely open to those um, those uh, deals. And I'm just kind of curious, like, what is the range of deals? Like, what's the low end? What's the high end bookmark in terms of what deal sizes you guys usually do? Yeah, we um, so. I would like to say that, you know, we see a lot in the $5 million range. Under $5 million, it, on a one-off basis, begins to get a little small just because there's a lot of work to do. You know, as, as is the case, I think, in every industry, doing a small deal is as much work as doing a big deal, as we all know. So we can go, at, there's no, there's no, we don't have any structural Ish, nothing in our company says we can't go very small. We would go small, typically if there's a relationship, there's a um, ability to do more with that operator. So to just do one small deal, I think it'd be a lot of work for the operator and a lot of work for us. But if somebody came to us and said, hey, look, I got this, we have this one small real estate transaction, but we're looking to do 10 of them, that's a great situation. And small doesn't matter in that case. Or if we've just done a couple big deals and you want to tack on a small deal, no problem. We can do that. On the upper range, there's really no limit. I would say our sweet spot is, you know, call it five to twenty-five million. But there's, you know, on the on the larger side of the spectrum, really no no cap. So Okay. So then going back to that risk conversation, so profitability, I think, is pretty clear. You want long-term profitability um, to make sure that people are still there to pay rent 10 years from now. How do you think about like compliance or insurance risk or liability? Does that factor into your assessment at all? Yeah, it does. And, and we'll do, we will do, that's part of our due diligence, due diligence process. We will review the payer mix, the 
how a company is set up from a compliance standpoint, what audits they've been through, how those audits, how those audits went, if they're currently under audits, and just and just try and understand that, right? We'll ask a lot of questions, and and typically it's it's all we we haven't run into anything we haven't been able to understand and get through with an operator that we've wanted to partner with, that has a sincere interest in working with us. We've been able to kind of work through all those issues, right? If any issues come up. Okay. And then something that we've kind of come across together on, I don't know if I'd say mutual clients, but mutual interests or projects that we were working on is location. And so I'm curious on your thoughts on this. So again, from your standpoint, and when we're talking about risk, um, certain properties are harder to sell. So obviously you want the business to be successful, but if it wasn't, you would still own the building, right? So you have this concern that like, how would we resell it to a potential other operator? And I'm thinking of the mutual projects that we've had sometimes where you've got an operator with a facility, you know, in the middle of nowhere, which is not uncommon. It's a gorgeous property, right? right? Very pretty, very good location. But how would you possibly resell that to someone else? And there's really nothing it could be besides maybe a high-end treatment center or or maybe like a summer camp or something like that, you know? So I just got your thoughts on location and how that factors into the risk analysis and how providers should be thinking about their locations nowadays. That's a great question. And we, we were, we were very focused when we launched this business to try and stay true to the, to our, what am I trying to say? Try to stay true to the belief that we're, we're helping operators expand into, into new markets, right? Not just the coastal destination, you know, treatment centers, right? Obviously that's, 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 you know, very broad brush. So our goal has been to not say no to any location and focus on trying to make that deal work. Meaning you could come to us with a rural treatment center and we're not going to without first understanding what the business is who you are and what you're trying to accomplish and why that location makes sense we're not we're not going to just say no because of where it is right and i think that is unique from a number of other real estate companies and it has a lot to do with the fact that this is all we're doing we are a hundred percent focused on behavior health and we want to understand business models and why they make sense and be an expert at that as much as, you know, two knucklehead real estate guys can be. So I think um, first comment on location is we we are sincere in our efforts to help this this industry grow. And we know that growth means going into, you know, kind of non-traditional institutional real estate markets. So we get that when it comes to there are going to be in these rural locations real estate assets that you know as you just mentioned nick but for their use as a addiction treatment center you're not going to be able to replace that rent and that's obviously a risk that we're taking and that's a that's a you know less comfortable place to be than owning a converted hotel asset shall we say, in a larger metropolitan area where worst case, you're, you might take a hit, but you can theoretically resell the asset as a old hotel that somebody could come in and you know reuse. So what do we do in those situations in the rural, you know, uh, especially when it's a, a high end, higher end facility that's, you know, a lot of money has been put into the upkeep. It's a nice piece of property, but and, and as such, there's value there and they wanted they can pay a certain rent number, but you'd have a very difficult, difficult time replacing that rent stream as a as in your example, as a children's camp, you just wouldn't <laughs> even get close. Right. You would really you would be quite underwater. So those are interesting circumstances that we I will say, again, as a business, we have decided we're not saying no to locations from just as as we will underwrite it. Now that doesn't mean we can do the deal. It means we're gonna we're gonna try to understand why that business makes sense and why why it should be there and just try and try and figure it out. 
And I think in-network contracts are a great example of what gives a business staying power, you know, track record, whether at this location or others, you know, the type of care being provided and how that fits into the to the to the area, to its uh, to the clients they're serving or the markets they're serving, I should say. And so all of those things come into it. And you know, the brand, their how they're marketing that location. So we'll we really try and dig into the business, get educated uh, again. And we want to be working with operators we trust. And so if they're explaining to us why this makes sense, you know, we want to we hear them out. I, I do want to provide a little bit of color here. I know this is tangential to our conversation, but I think it's important because it's come up, and I think you've seen it come up as well. Uh, so in that example, you've got an operator, and they own a, a gorgeous facility, and they paid $20 million for it, right? And they put in a bunch of renovations and all this other stuff. So now they're, they're $30 million deep. But the operating company is not doing that well. The operating company is maybe barely profitable or just breaking even or something like that. So sometimes what I've seen is that operator will say, well, hey, you know, I want to sell my business, right? And the real estate alone is worth $30 million. So, I mean, baseline, I should be getting $30 million for this thing. Well, the reality is if you don't have a successful operating company in that facility, there's nothing else that can go there, right? There's a very low probability that I could build another business. And if you can't make the behavioral health business work, why would I think that someone else can? So while you paid $30 million for that facility, it's really not worth anything because I can't sell it to anyone else and it doesn't have a profitable business on it to get rent from. So that value of that property is not much. And so I think that's something that just operators need to be aware of when they're buying real estate is that if you buy in a location where that is all that you can do there and you're not able to make the operating company successful, then that lowers the real estate value of the property, frankly. And so do you have any comments on, on my thought process there? No, I, I think that's exactly right. It's not a, it's not, the real estate is not a get out of jail free card in that, you know, in, in that sense, right? You just can't, you know, the, the, in, in a lot of these locations, the reason the real estate has value is that you can run a successful treatment facility there. And if you can't do it, we need to really understand why somebody else can, right? And, and get comfortable with that. But that is, that's a great, that's exactly right. You, you know, as, as, as you hear people say time to time, you know, if you overbuild, there's this concept of overbuilding, right? And if you built the Taj Mahal in the middle of, you know, the the tundra, you might have spent a hundred million dollars on that, on that building, but it's nobody's ever going to go there. It's in the tundra, right? It's just it's not worth. You might get, you know, it's just not worth that amount of money. So there, you can. It, there has to be a use applied to the dollar spent on the real estate, right? You can't you can't totally separate the concept of well the real I spent I spent a hundred million dollars on this building therefore it's worth a hundred million dollars. Hopefully, hopefully it's worth a little bit more, but that is not always the case as we know. So yeah. I think that's a that's a really important point, and um, you know we do run into that you know time to time. So, yeah, we've got a we've got a mutual friend over at CBRE, right, that does a lot of healthcare real estate valuations. And he always used to tell us about, you know, it's like this is just really a go dark cost and a go dark means it's shut down. There's no business operating there. There's no tenant. And, you know, he said that that was pretty common within the healthcare space that he would find quite a bit of that. And he's like, look, your, your property's not really worth much of anything, unfortunately, <laughs> because there's no opco on top of it. And so if you don't have a successful opco, then the real estate is significantly devalued at that point. Yeah, you know, you know, Nick, it's kind of a funny. Um, this is a uh, an interesting segue into the concept of, you know, when I when uh, you know when operators will will want to own, they when they so some operators will split will do the split on their own and say they they will own their opco and they will also own their real estate and the opco will pay rent to their real estate asset, right? And I think the, that that's a we see that time to time, and I think it's a it can be a great idea, but in the vein of what we were just talking about, you are doubling down on your operating business's success, right? And that's a, 
you're not diversifying necessarily into real estate when you do that, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, yeah. Because because you're paying the rent you're making on your building is being provided by your operating business. And in you know, depending on how that's structured, it could be supporting a valuation for your real estate that without that rent would be much lower. So you're a little bit, you're not really diversifying your portfolio, if you will, or your risk, we should just say your risk in doing that. And I think, uh, and that's, that's a, that, that has actually resonated uh, pretty well with some of the smaller operators, you know, the, the groups that have, you know, a founder has grown his company, built up his business along the way has owned, you know, bought his own, his or her, his or her own real estate to support the business's growth. And, you know, gets to a place where all of a sudden he has a, a, a real real estate portfolio and this operating business supporting it. I, I we, we've had some really interesting discussions where it's like, where that's not, you're not diversifying your risk in that instance, because you're supporting that real estate. And in doing a real estate transaction with us, where we take that portfolio and, you know, provide that lump sum cash, where the founder doesn't necessarily need to use that for business growth. We like to see some of it to go to business growth, but it's certainly an opportunity to de-risk their position in their exposure to their overall business, if that makes sense. And so and, and so somewhat somewhat in line with what we were just chatting about, but sure, so partial at, you know, partial exit kind of and you know, even maybe the idea that hey, look, if this real estate potentially isn't worth that much without the business, I can just sell it to Patrick and he can take that risk and I'll wash my hands and we're all good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So <laughs> as we, as we kind of wind this down, just a couple of terminology questions, because I, I know sometimes getting into real estate is, is a different language. And so we talked about like uh, the opco and the propco, right? Operating company versus a property. And then we talked about the triple net lease. What, what about cap rates? Cap rates is a term I hear all the time. Um, can you tell us what that means? Cap rates. Yes. Cap rates is, can't be in, 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 in real estate without coming across that. So that's again, like everything in real estate is really just such a simple concept. Take your net operating income from your real estate and divide it by your price, right? So whatever you're going to pay for it. And that is, so if you have a, and net operating income in our business is that triple net rent that we receive from the operator. So Again, if we're receiving $100 from a operator and we're paying $1,000 for the building, right? That's a 10 cap. I hope I did my math. And right that's there. over a 12-month <laughs> period or how does that math work out? Well, so that that's just simply your it's it's another way of um cap rate is it's almost like think of it as your it's the same math as a bond yield. Um, you know, your interest rate over your debt proceeds. So your your cost of debt over your debt amount is your interest rate. Cap rate's the same thing. So it's just over. So a, a low cap rate of say 5% would be $50 over $1,000 purchase price. Uh, a high cap rate is $150 over $1,000. So 15%. So it's, it's just a there there is the inverse relationship between the income produced by the real estate and the value of that real estate. Okay, so a seller wants a, a low cap rate, a buyer wants a high cap rate. Like, what would be a, a good cap rate these days, or, or an average cap rate these days in the current interest rate environment? Oh, that's a you know, Nick. It's a it's that's a great question, and one we get a lot, and it is. Um, there's no real simple answer to it. And I know a lot of people are probably going to shake their head at that kind of avoiding the question, but I'll, I will answer it. And it, it's all to say that cap rate is your value of your real estate is a function and your lease rate, right? Cause that's what we're talking about in this space is going to be a function of the business and the property location, right? So again, when I said we looked at anything in a rule, we're not going to say no to a location and we're going to try and figure it out. Part of that figuring it out is making sure we're being, we achieve the right return for the risk we're taking in a, in a more rural ro location versus something not so rural, right? So 
and then you have different credit profiles within, and especially in behavioral health, you have so many different types of businesses at different stages in growth with different business plans, different payer mixes, different, some portion of in-network, some just going in-network, some totally established with every single commercial payer, some with more public payer mix. So we have to kind of put all that into the blender and say, okay, where do we want to be? Cap rates can be anywhere from, call it, 6% up to there, the upper limit can be anywhere, right? Just, it depends on what really makes sense. I don't think you're going to see much above 10, 12%. Um, I mean, you'd have to be a pretty unique situation in that regard. It does happen depending on the growth, the real estate value, the opportunity at that location. So things like that, because we want to be open to conversations with everybody. Right. And it all depends on their business. Okay. So we've covered quite a bit here today. Is there anything specific that we haven't covered that you think is important to uh, bring up in this conversation? No, I think this has been pretty, uh, hopefully been pretty helpful for everybody. You know, we're, you know, I guess what I was going to say is that the, um, we are a solution, one solution available to operators. And it never hurts to just see what we can do if you're growing your business or looking to take some chips off the table. We're not a competitor, right? So giving us a quick phone call just to check in and say, hey, we know we have these real estate assets. How would you think about them? Or we're thinking of growing into these locations with facilities that look like this. How can you help? We are like, we are totally available to have those discussions. Love to meet new people in the industry. You know, I think that's that's the one thing I'd say. We're we're also a solution for opco transactions where the founder's selling to someone and the buyer only wants to buy the operating business but doesn't want to take on the real estate. We can plug that gap, right? We can come in and be part of the capitalization of those acquisition situations. So um and we're in fact working on something right now that's very similar to that. So um I guess all I'd say is, you know, I would, would love love to meet folks and don't be afraid to reach out, track us down, and um, you're happy to be helpful. Even if there's not a deal for us, more than willing to try and provide some advice and, and anything we can do on the real estate side to, to help folks in the industry, we're here to do that. I appreciate all the information. I'm sure the listeners do too. I mean, real estate is something different from operating a business. And so it's, it's definitely helpful. I know it's helpful for me to get that background. I think you're going out to TCIV, right? Yes, I am. I will be there. All right. So um, so obviously people could meet you there if they're going, but otherwise, what's a good way to contact you or wellness? The, the easiest way is um, shoot me an email. It's So my email is P as in Patrick Haynes, H-A-Y, N-E-S at wellness-re as in real estate.com. So P Haynes at wellness-re or just info at wellness-re.com. Both of those work and we look forward to hearing from everyone. You can find me on LinkedIn as well, Patrick Haynes, Wellness Real Estate Partners and check out our website at www.wellness-re.com. And, um, yeah, we, we love what we're we love what we're doing. We uh, we have great partners, and um, we um, we really have had a, a fantastic experience in the industry. And um, you know, we hope to continue doing this for the long term. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on uh, for all our listeners out there. This is a Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, and we'll see you next time.